word of prayer. God, as we just talked about, Lord, we lift up those who are affected by the fires here on our island and uh, especially those who lost their homes, um, those who lost family, those in the Lahaina area that just, it's just so really, really bad over there and still things are in disarray and, and I know even uh, there's visitors on the island trying to get off or get home and uh, anyway, there's just so much going on. And Lord, we want to call out to you and cry out to you that, Lord, you are a God and our Lord, and we pray that you would move and help and, and, and just be there for people and powerfully work miracles so that you'd save people, that you strengthen people, that through all this, God, that you would reveal yourself and that especially those who don't know you would be saved, God. That in the midst of all this, that they would call out to you, find comfort, strength, and find you, Jesus, Lord. So I just pray for many souls to be saved, that even through this calamity, Lord, you can bring something out of it, and that is salvation of souls. And God, I pray for your word, that you would bless it tonight, God, as we go over it, and help us, Lord, as Zach prayed, Lord, um, speak to us, give a word to us, and as we're listening, God, as we're before you, God, may your spirit speak. And so anoint this time and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1912, the Titanic was launched from Liverpool, England. And as you know, it was the largest at that time. Uh, and it was the uh, largest cruise ship and the best one, really. It was built with a swimming pool on it, a gym, a steam room, a library, the first-class rooms uh, had elaborate wood paneling and high-end furnishings. And, and, of course, like in a the movie, there was that huge, grand staircase. Eleven mil- millionaires were on board for the ship's maiden voyage. And because of its safety protocols and structural integrity, it is said at its launch, one employee made this comment, not even God himself could sink the ship. Well, we know what happened, right? We know uh, the history of it. Well, that was heard, and it bothered a God-fearing woman whose family was unexpectedly transferred to this giant ship. This woman, Mrs. Hart, stayed awake all night. It, It bothered her, so she stayed awake alert to some disaster that would come for this challenge toward God with that statement. So when the boat did collide with the iceberg, she was able to move her family immediately to the upper deck and into the lifeboats. So because of her, the family, her family did not join the 1,500 who perished that night. Well, that made me think about how we all need, everybody needs to be alert to this false thinking that you can come against God. We got to know if you fight God, you're not going to win, right? You're not going to win. Well, tonight as we, we return to our study in our book of Acts, we, sing, we see that King Herod tragically finds that God cannot be stopped. And that's the title of our message. God cannot be stopped. We're going to be finishing up chapter 12 from verse 20 through verse 25 tonight. And really we have just two headings here 
the two things we're going to see is number one, the worms go in, and number two, the work goes on. I know that's kind of gross. But when we get into the story, you'll understand what that is. I know, I was like, ah, I don't want to, ah, should I use that? Yeah, I'm going to go for it. So let's take a look at here. Number one, the worms go in. The worms go in. We're going to be covering verse 20 to verse 23 in this section. And first of all, take a look at verse 20. It says here in Acts 12, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord and had persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And we'll stop right there. While we begin with Luke now, the writer, he continues on in this story, and he's writing here beginning with now Herod. Now Herod. Now we were introduced to Herod, which is Herod Agrippa I. We were introduced to him way back in the first verse of this chapter, if you remember. Herod is the king, or we should say the governor that Rome put in charge of over the area of Judea, right, in Israel. Really over the Jewish population there and the Jewish religious leaders. He was the great-grandson of uh, or I say the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who ordered like all toddlers or babies under the age of two to be killed at the birth time of the birth of Jesus. So he comes from that line of these Herods, these uh, uh, guys who, who liked the power, who liked to rule. And as we saw in our last message when we were here in uh, Acts chapter 12, he was into the position, Right? And if you remember, we saw because he wanted to move up in power, uh, he wanted to gain Rome's favor even more, that he did something to politically please the Jews. And you remember what he did in verse 2 of this chapter. He, had, he, he apprehended James' apostle and he had him killed. He beheaded him. And then... He took Peter because he saw, oh, these Jews, they loved this. They didn't like these apostles of Jesus Christ, the, the way, right? These believers in Christ. And, and so it pleased the Jews that these heads of the church, of this early church, were, 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 uh, were getting apprehended. And when he killed James, he saw, oh, they liked this. So politically, he arrested Peter. And then you remember we saw last time that in prison, right before Peter was to be martyred or executed, that the angel of the Lord came that evening and released Peter miraculously. Uh, uh, and the guards didn't even know and brought him out of prison. Uh, and, and remember, the people were praying. They didn't, um, they didn't believe it when Rhoda came. Hey, Peter's at the gate and all that. But we studied that last time. So here's this Herod now, the same Herod. He tried to, you know, stop this movement. Or you can say he tried to stop God. But, you know, you cannot fight God and win. And so when the angel released Peter here, well, he, remember, tucked his tail between his legs and ran off to Caesarea. We saw that in the last verse we saw in verse 19. So here we are, Herod's in Caesarea. And so Luke goes on, now Herod, this Herod, Herod Agrippa I, he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So 
Herod now is upset with these guys. Now the people are the city of Tyre and Sidon were up the coast of the Mediterranean coast. Caesarea was on the coast there. And then um, north of that, up the coast, was these two cities. And today it's in, our, in the area of our modern Lebanon. So up the coast was Tyre and Sidon. And so there was, the, the, he was upset with those, those, um, uh, those cities, the people in those cities. Something upset him. Something made him angry. Some speculate, well, maybe they didn't pay, pay the tariffs, the taxes that Herod really wanted from them. I mean, they weren't in his jurisdiction, but Herod was the one who provided the food supply, as we read at the end of verse 20, the king's country for food. Now, from Judea came grain that fed the people of Tyre and Sidon, but he got angry. He, he cut them off, and that was bad because this was a time of the famine. Do you remember Remember there was that prophecy by Agabus, there was a famine in the land. Well, this was that period, and this is what was going on. So these guys were in a bind here. They didn't have food. They needed food. Herod's angry at them. So a delegation, they, verse 20, came to him, came to Herod in one accord. So the delegation from Tyre and Sidon as one came and tried to meet with Herod. But what they did is they persuaded, they probably paid Blastus off, the king's chamberlain. What's a chamberlain? Well, that means his personal aide. So this was someone close to Herod. Kind of most likely persuaded is like, oh, here, we'll, we'll give you a little bit. Get us in. Have, you know, let us have an in with Herod. And they asked for peace. In other words, hey, we, we don't want you to be angry with us, Herod. So they made this deal to try and make uh, peace with Herod because they needed the food, they needed the grain. It was a time of famine. Well, Herod liked that, of course. Of course, he, he liked it because here's these guys who was angry and now they're, they're coming to him on bended knee, right? Kind of like, oh, 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 Herod, we need to, you know... Uh, 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 be make right with you and so they're just doing everything they they can to please Herod and Herod loved that he was milking that so he allowed them to make this big deal and Herod just ate it up all it did really is feed his pride if you think about it. yeah if you think about it, they're just puffing him up they're just coming to him like surrendering to him not fighting him or anything but oh yeah Herod and you can imagine because as the story goes on they're going to really lift him up we got to watch out when that happens Proverbs sixteen eighteen says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall right we know that pride comes before a fall well that's what's going on here uh, Herod he is building himself up. And I'll tell you, he's going to fall, and he's going to fall hard. Take a look how it happens. Verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, verse 22, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, verse 23, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. This is such a weird passage, isn't it? It, it, It's gross and it's so strange, but it's true. It's what 
you know, it's in the word. So let's kind of find out what happened. In verse 20, it says, for 21, it says, on an appointed day. Well, Herod comes out now on this appointed day. What is that? Well, we don't see too much information here, but the ancient historian Flavius Josephus gives us some insight of what was going on that, at that time. So what was happening, happening was, was in honor of Caesar's birthday, uh, they held this festival. There was entertainment, food, you know, games in the arena and everything. And they were in, celebrating in this big amphitheater. Now, when we went to Israel, both times when we went, we would, that was one of our stops. And it's a beautiful amphitheater, pretty big, right on the shores of the Mediterranean. Super nice. There's a stage, and then there's these, uh, you know, stone stands all the way up. And I remember doing, we would do a Bible study on this, on this very passage there. And I'm just picturing, that's, that's ha- this event happened right there, right then, so long ago. So it was a two-day festival, Josephus tells it. The first day was to honor Caesar his birthday. But the second day, Herod made it about him. So this appointed day is the second day when Herod came out to make it all about uh, him. The first day was like to tip his hat to Caesar, but this day it was about him and his greatness. And you can see why, or you can see how. On that an appointed day, Herod put on his royal Robes. Now, Josephus writes that he put on these robes, this royal clothes made of silver, totally silver. And, and Josephus writes, it was right at the time the sun was at the right angle so that when the sun hit his, the silver, it would just reflect out and shine out. And so you could see him perfectly timing this and showing off like, glory in a sense, quote-unquote. So as he went out and took his seat, he delivered this great oration or this speech, yeah? probably, you know, like a dignitary giving his, 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 his talking about his greatness or maybe things he's done or all of that. Well, as he's speaking, the people start cheering and as he's giving that big speech, they're cheering the voice of a God and not of a man. So here is Herod, like just lifting himself up, drinking in all this praise, and most likely the, the ringleaders of uh, the, the, the crowd, you know, to shout this, where it was these guys from Tyre and Sidon, right? Oh, yeah, they're going to make hair feel real good so they get a good deal so they can get their grain in the middle of famine and hair won't be angry out uh, at us anymore so here's herod at this appointed day it was all about him of how great he thought he was well you can see of course herod was absorbed in himself right and this is the herods their greatness their position their power and yes their pride their pride. If you think about it, he seems to put aside now what happened to Peter. I mean, that was just above this, right? He ran away to Caesarea, and, and what did just happen? Well, P- 
Peter's miracle escape. There's no rational explanation. And he just put that aside. Let me tell you that, that Herod, he was no stranger to the law of Moses. It wasn't like he was a total, you know, a vacuum from the Jews and all. Matter of fact, that the Herods kind of came, they were half Jewish and all. So he knew God. He knew the religion or the worship of Judaism and the Jews. And I almost believe God was like saying, look, hey, a miracle. Hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. But he still rejected God, came against God in this way. You know what he should have done? He should have humbled himself. He should have seen, whoa, something's going on here. Whoa, Peter's loose? None of the guards know? They, have, they didn't see nothing? There's some, something's up. There's no explanation. These are our, our guards, Roman soldiers here. He should have humbled himself back then. He should have stopped himself from even doing, making this act. But he is so blind by his own self-pride. So, to gain favor, kiss up to him, the people, these delegates from Tyre and Sidon, they probably got everyone going on, on the voice of a God, not of a man, lifting him up even more. But then verse 23, right? Immediately, at that moment, an angel of the Lord struck him down. It's interesting, the same Greek word struck his, is the same word in verse 7 when the angel came and struck Peter on the side to wake him up. But he, that was to get Peter up, to get him going to come out of prison. But here, this was in judgment. Struck down Herod. Struck his health. So that he was eaten by worms. I know that, that's so Gross. Flavius Josephus writes this, that uh, it, he was carried away and he died actually five days later. Now, I read some of um, the scholars, they get into this word worms in, in the Greek and, it, and they, they say it's talking about the tapeworm. And then some guys are saying that probably, well, back then uh, it was common Guys would get tapeworms in their, in their system, maybe from meat that was af affected or maybe not cooked right. And this kind of tapeworm could affect your liver. But something happened, something agitated it. And what it was was God's judgment and this angel striking. And he died five days later. And I heard it's a very painful death too. So why was this? Why was he struck down in this way? Why was he eaten by worms? Well, we see in the middle of verse 3, because he did not give God the glory. What was going on here? Well, when the people said, the voice of a man, or a voice of a God, not of man, he took all that glory for himself. Can you imagine? Sitting in that amphitheater that day, I mean, uh, I, that's what I think about when we were there. People shielding their eyes from the reflection off his robes, right? And then, and then Herod speaking, and then the crowd just getting all emotional and all shouting, voice of God together, not of a man, voice of a God, not of a man. 
inherits, they're soaking it up full, his pride swelling up. Then suddenly, the cheers start to fade as they see Herod like collapse, maybe from that little throne or that throne you're sitting on, and he falls over onto the stage. His attendants come, run, and rush him, rush in, and carry him off stage. And then you hear the news five days later that he had died. You see, we see here in Scripture, Herod's downfall was his pride. Instead of giving glory to God, he accepts it for himself. Herod robs God of what God alone should receive. And with that, we see he comes against the Lord. He comes against God. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. God will not allow that to happen. Especially, especially when you try to steal that glory in this manner. You know, I think, I was kind of meditating on this, that this was probably the last straw for Herod. I mean, yes, he killed James. He was attempting to kill Peter. But I think there was other things going on there too. That Herod was resisting God in, in his pride. That he was coming against the Lord in, in his pride and thinking he had the power over God. And when he got to this point, that was the ultimate the ultimate of him going against God is receiving the glory that's really meant for the Lord. So we see here the worms go in to bring judgment to a man who tried to rise up against God. That's really what it is. It's judgment. The worms go in. I know it's gross, but this is what we're reading. This is what happens. We've seen it in the Bible, haven't we? We see it. Remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh, through all these plagues, 10 plagues, right? I think, I think God was trying to break him down, break his pride. But every time, Pharaoh like, kind of gave in, but then he didn't. He would walk back and go against God. Till finally, right? Finally, when Pharaoh in Exodus tried to go against God and take down his people, his whole army drowned, right? And he was devastated. You know what I think about? Is that the end of the tribulation, when the Antichrist, right, he goes against God. I mean, throughout Revelation, he's going against God. Anyway, he's going against God's principle, his name. He's lifting up Satan. He's getting the world to worship Satan and him. And in the very end, right, at Armageddon, when Christ comes, in his second coming, what does he do? He turns his armies against Jesus. He thinks he can go against Jesus. And Jesus, with the word in his mouth, the sword in his mouth, just, that's it, wipes him out. And then what? He's cast into the lake of fire. The worms go in. This judgment, this judgment for those who go and rise up against God. Even, we know Satan, what's his end? to be cast into the lake of fire. So, we should stay humble, you guys. We must stay humble and broken before the Lord. I mean, that's what Herod should have done. 
I think what we saw earlier in chapter 12 was one of maybe many other things God was trying to reach him with to show him, no, God is really in control. We should not let that sin of pride get you to take that glory away from God, to, to, to come against God. Because God knows how to humble you. There's this joke, yeah, of the Norse god of thunder riding across the sky, boasting how great he was. I'm Thor, he yells. I'm Thor, he yells. He's riding on his horse. I'm Thor, and he liked the echo, so he's saying it again and again. I'm Thor. Finally, the horse he was riding on turns its head to him and said, well, next time, get a saddle, Philly. I like that one. <laughs> you can laugh. <laughs> We're humbled, aren't we? When things happen beyond our control. I almost wonder, what was Herod thinking those five days? I don't know. We don't know, it doesn't say. I would hope that he was humbled to the fact of what was going on, that something was happening beyond his control, that he would humble himself to the Lord God. When our health fails, we're humbled, aren't we? When, when we can't control that disease or cancer or some ailment, we're humbled by it. Before that, oh, we may be going on and on and we think we got things together, but all of a sudden when something physical happens, oh, it, it humbles us. And perhaps things might be allowed to humble us. But when those unfortunate things happen, we live in a fallen world, there's disease and we're humbled in that way, we should lay down our pride and go to God. Even in the recent calamity, the disaster that we're facing today, these past few days, and we'll see how long it goes on, we're humbled. I'm humbled. By these fires, the wind. I mean, yeah, I was watching the news, like there was a high and a low from the hurricane passing south to us. And, and that convergence brought all this wind. And our state happened to be right there where it's converging. That's why we had these high winds. And I was watching the weather report and they're talking about that. And I don't know, my mind is like, well, we're windy already. Maui, yeah. Well, maybe Maui was right there in the target. I mean, so many poles went down, right? So many trees. And they are talking about on the news how like um, an ember could fly uh, one mile in one minute. And no wonder fire was spreading, maybe sparked, you know, from, from some of the power lines going down and hitting the brush or trees and all that. I don't know about you, but when these calamity happens, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by it. Like, whoa. And it reminds me how much I'm not in control. God is. And I want to humble myself before the Lord. And we need to be that way. We need to stay that way. And by God's love and grace, He'll help us. He'll be there for us. 
An atheist told a crowd, if there is a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right now. When nothing happened, after a few minutes, he said, see, there is no God. But right then, a believer spoke up and said, you've, really, you've only really proven that he is a gracious God. I like that. The thing is, you can't fight God and win. God is in control. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. And that's what Herod should have done. Because God cannot be stopped. So the worms go in. Let's go to number two. Uh, is the work goes on. This is the second and really final thing we'll see in verse 24 and 25. The work goes on. Verse 24, it says, But the word of God increased and multiply. Now, I love this, how Luke writes here to say, but, yeah, like James was beheaded, Peter was put in prison, there's persecution going on, but what? Despite what Herod did, despite what was going on with all the persecution, the word of God increased and multiply. No matter who may rise up against the Lord, against his, his truth, the word of God really speaks of the gospel, the truth in Jesus Christ. The word, God's word, it, it kept going on. That's really the idea here. And Luke says, despite all these things that happened, he's, he's giving us and showing us, you know what? God cannot be stopped. And God's word kept going on. Increased here in verse 24 means spread. It means it, it, it spread more and more. People were learning and hearing about Jesus. And the word multiply, I like the NLT says, there were many new believers. So through the word of God, it spread. People were hearing the word, the gospel of Christ. And as they heard the word, many were coming to Jesus Christ. So no matter what, Herod did, no, had tried to do, no matter what persecution was going on all around, no matter what the Jewish religious leaders are trying to do to the believers here, the work of God in Jesus Christ wasn't stopped. It only spread more. And I love that thought. I think verse 24 is something that we should hold on to. That no matter how dark this world gets, no matter how much oppression from on the principles that we hold to in the Bible, no matter how the society will change, as we hold on to the word, shine that light like we are seeing, that light of Christ in the darkness, you know what? The word of God will spread and people will come to Christ. That's in my heart tonight. The work of God in Jesus Christ wasn't stopped and won't, won't be stopped. It will only be spread more. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? Remember, he asked the disciples in this passage, he said, who do you say I am? Who, who right? Who, who do you say I am? You know, he asked the disciples when they were on their way to Caesarea. Remember in Israel, we, we took that, that walk there. And uh, there's a really 
it's a it's a nice area, lush and green, and there's there's this stream running, and we walk along that, and that was a that was like the road going to Caesarea, and we made a stop there, and and as we walked along there on the side of the hill there next to the stream, and the other side was the walkway. You can see these little carved out little caves there, small ones, and a little shelf. And the tour guide told us that they would set idols in those, those little um, um, cave, little, I don't know, like a better word I can't think of, but little, you know, cut out things. They put little idols there. And so they're walking along there, the disciples. And I think in that backdrop with these little idols and gods and stuff that the Greeks and Romans were worshiping back then, Jesus said, hey, who do you say I am? And remember, Peter spoke up, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And so after that, Jesus says in Matthew 16 and 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that's Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That truth of who Jesus is, the gates of hell, no one, Satan, nobody, this world will not prevail against it. And that's what we see in verse 24. The word of God increased, it spread, and it multiplied people. More people became saved. Those who try and take away the Bible, those who try and burn Bibles, those who come against the church, and there's been a lot coming against the church lately hasn't there? The enemy, Satan himself, comes against the church. And, and even our own church, we've been through things. But I believe in this, that as we keep preaching the word, God will use it in a mighty way. I think about China, when they tried to arrest and kill Christians, when they tried to burn and get rid of Bibles. What happened? Did it stop Christianity there? No, the church went underground and actually grew even more. God's word will not be stopped. Nothing can stop God's word. No one can stop God's word from going on. No one can stop the word of God from changing lives. And so... It goes on and we go on here, Luke writes in verse 25. And really this is like an example that the word kept going on. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So if you remember back in Acts 11, Barnabas and Saul, they went to Jerusalem with, with a gift from uh, they, were, they were at the church in Antioch, and they had a gift, probably some money. The famine was going on, so, and, and supplies maybe. But they went to Jerusalem to give that offering, to give that gift to the church in Jerusalem. Well, they returned from that mission, and they were back in Antioch. We're going to see more about that in chapter th- uh, 13. And they came back with John Mark, uh, and, and that is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to see later uh, he's going to, uh, he's going to uh, leave a mission and Paul's not going to be too excited about that. But this is John Mark. 
Uh, so they returned to Antioch. Now, maybe they were traveling when all this was going on. Peter's imprisonment, uh, James is killed, uh, Herod's uh, death and all that. But Luke is saying here, look, Herod did not stop God's work. Barnabas and Saul accomplished, completed their mission. And we're going to we're going to see the story go on. It didn't stop. Uh, Acts 12, or the book of Acts doesn't end in chapter 12. It's going to keep going on. Now, take note too. Verse 25 is really a transition. We're going from Peter to Paul or Saul now. Uh, the focus from here on really is, is going to be uh, on Saul, on Paul, and his missionary journeys, and how God uses him. Peter will make appearance when they, there's a dispute about um, circumcision and all that, and we'll get to that. But we're at, we're at a transition here. Some say from verse 25, or chapter 13, is really volume 2 of the book of Acts. So, without skipping a beat, in verse 25, Luke writes and and continues on with, with uh, Barnabas and Paul carrying on the work. So I want you to get this idea. When God sets a thing in motion, nothing, no person, no one can frustrate it. Nothing can stop this work going on. Nothing. Because God's doing that. Understand that. There's a really old story of King Canute, Canute, Canute. He was a king over England, Sweden, a long time ago, long time ago. Um, maybe in the 1200s, I forget now. But he took his throne, set it down on the beach, and he commanded the tide not to rise and get his legs wet. He commanded that his legs to be uh, kept dry. But that's not going to happen, right? We know because the king is not God. And that was actually his point. He wanted to make a point that, look, I'm not God. God is God. God has the power, not me. He told uh, his people this when he, he did this little uh, act. He said, let all men know how empty and worthless is the power of kings. For there is none worthy of the name, but he whom heaven, earth, and sea obey by eternal laws. And so when the water came and touched his legs, it's told the king removed his crown, hung it on a, a cross, and never wore it in honor of the almighty God. So here's our last point. The work goes on. The work goes on, you guys, to bring people to Jesus Christ through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And that's what Luke is putting out here. I think about what Peter said in 2 Timothy 2.9. For, for which I am suffering, he was talking about Christ and the gospel, boundless chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Isn't that awesome? He may be in, in prison for his faith and for preaching Christ, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not chained. You know, it's told how the skeptic Voltaire, 
who is really out to destroy the faith of Christians, predicted that within 100 years of death, the Bible would disappear from the face of the earth. That's what he said before he died. Voltaire died in 1728. Well, guess what? We still have our Bibles, don't we? And the ironic thing is this. 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society moved into his old house and started to print Bibles there. <laughs> I thought, wow, God, that's, that's an underlying you know, thing. The work goes on. The Word goes on. We cannot stop that because it's God, His work. And so that's why it's so important that we learn the Word, that we share the Word, because the power is in the Word. The power is in the Gospel of Christ. One commentator, Mike Powell, told how, um, Mark A. Powell told how when he was small, a little boy, he tried to stop up a small spring of water coming out of the ground. So he got a shovel, and he like shoveled scoops of dirt on, just, just tried to bury it. But no matter how hard he tried, the water would seep out from the edges of that mound. Again and again, he tried and tried, but he could not stop it as a child because it was a spring. That's like the Word of God. That's God's work. That's the confidence that we have in the Lord. It's like the law of gravity, right? We, we can't fight it. You, know? you jump off a cliff, what's going to happen? You're going to go down. Yeah. You know? Um, you, you cannot. And so it is with the work of God. So have faith, you guys, in God's Word. Have faith in, his, in what He's doing. His purpose will be done. His promises will come to pass. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. You guys know this verse, but turn over there. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. Isaiah 55. It says in verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And in verse 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Amen? God's word will not, in the old King James, not return void. It will accomplish his purpose. So we can trust in God's word. We can hold to God's word. Let the word of God be part of your life part of what you share, and know that God has a purpose in it. So why do we go against that, right? Why do we go against His Word? Why do we go against His, His work? Why would anyone want to go against God? You know what's better? To be with Him, right? To be on His side. I'd rather have God fight for me than against me. Wouldn't you? That's what Herod should have realized. That's what Luke is saying. But, right, the word of God, it spread, it multiplied. It went on. 
Have you been fighting against God? Maybe against his purposes? Maybe his plan? Maybe it's time to surrender to that. Maybe you really have been trying to stop God in your life. You know, tonight you can give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you never really came to Christ, gave your life to Him, accepted Him into your heart, surrendered, let Him forgive you, and let Him work in your life. Well, tonight's the night to do that. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, God, what's going on? I don't see you. Maybe you think that God has stopped. He can't work in your situation. Maybe you feel like he's not there. But understand today, God is working a plan. And trust the wisdom in his plan. As we were singing, we, we need to wait on the Lord. Not go out and try and do what we want. Not to do things in our strength, but wait on the Lord. And you know what? No matter how it looks, no matter how it seems, we need to trust that God is working. And He will work. I'll close with this. On a stormy night in Birmingham, England, the missionary to China... Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a meeting set at Servan Street Schoolroom. Someone before he left told him that nobody's going to come because look, look how bad the weather is. Look how stormy it is. But Hudson Taylor insisted on going. He said, I must go even if there's no one but the doorkeeper. Well, when he went, there's less than a dozen people that showed up, but people showed up. But the thing was, the meeting was marked, it says here, with unusual spiritual power. God was there. God meant the Holy Spirit was there. And it goes on, the story goes on to say, which resulted in half of those present became missionaries or their children became missionaries. And the rest that were there became faithful supporters of China Inland Mission, uh, Hudson Taylor's ministry for years to come. So you guys, no matter the storm, no matter the fire, no matter the wind, no matter what may come against you, press on. No matter what may come against God's word that you're trying to share or live up to, know this, God cannot be stopped. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I'm encouraged in this. I mean, a little bit weird story, but at the same time, God, we understand that you are in control, God, and you will not be defeated. And, and that even after, um, what'd you say, uh, such a blatant, blaspheming thing to do, God, you don't cower at that, Lord. And there's justice that will be done. I thank you, God, that persecution that we see in early church, no matter what the Jews did, no matter what Herod did, Lord, your word, your truth was not stopped. 
And God, no matter what we face in our trials, things at work, problems with our family, even our own weaknesses and, and, and failures, God. Lord, that doesn't stop you from working in our life. And I thank you for that in my life. So God, help us tonight, Lord, to hold on in faith that, God, you cannot be stopped. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.